Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thank you so much for joining us on this program, which comes your way on Sundays. We're here at 7 a.m. and p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. SoundCloud uh, podcasts are disseminated to Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, uh, iHeartRadio, iTunes, uh, Amazon Music, and a bunch of other locations across the Internet, uh, different platforms. We hope that you will subscribe, as well as go to our YouTube channel, which is, of course, uh, Tell Me Your Story and Richard Dugan. Just look for the guy with the hat. You can't miss him. I will tell you that there is another Tell Me Your Story channel up there, but that's not me. You'll know it when you see it. You'll know it when you hear it, especially. So I hope that you will subscribe. We've got 39, 40, 40 subscribers and over 50,500 listens on the podcast. So very exciting. I'm thankful for those who are listening to our program. Our program today, <clears throat> I think you're going to enjoy this. Now, to my guest, uh, his name is Thomas. He's the author, his pen name, if you will. Uh, he has written um, Paneri and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, City Trilogy. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, Richard. I'm really grateful to be on your program today. You know, I am in the process of watching the newest version of the Dune trilogies, the new movie that's come out on HBO, you know? Okay. Very I good. saw the original movie. I read the books, absolutely was thrilled, and I will tell you the one thing that I enjoyed about that particular trilogy was the interweaving of pretty much every aspect of life and living, economic, social, political, religious, you know, uh, I think the religious group, they were referred to as the uh, Bene Gesserit, mostly they were women. Uh, and then there was the political, there was the, there was royalty. Okay. And on, and, and I thought, wow, Frank has really, wow, he's, he's done a, what a, what a great job. There was another book I read by him. Uh, I believe it was, uh, called the Prometheus project having to do with uh, a rocket by the, uh, created by the Soviets, a huge, huge rocket they called Prometheus and so forth. Uh, I'm curious as we get started, first of all, it is pronounced, uh, uh, penury. Penury City? Uh, I, I think it's penury, but... Penury? Penury. All right. Yeah. So we'll, Pen we'll, penury. It, penury. It means extreme poverty. Well, it, oh, wow. Well, we'll find out just how impoverished <laughs> the group is. <laughs> right. You'll have to pick up volumes one, two, and three. Light of Gabriel is volume one. Uh, I want to say Irie of the Shekel. Shekel. Ire of the Shekel. Ire right. of the Shekel. And then no. uh, Zealot's Return. Right, and, and the Zealot's Return. Ze oh. Okay, so I've had, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, I got one out of three. <laughs> That's all right. I, I have the same problem because I read a lot, and when you read a lot, you don't always, you don't hear the pronunciation of things. Um, the, the same thing happened to me when I, went to, uh, when I went to Europe and I went to Italy. I read up on the language, learning how to read and write Italian. But when I got there, I didn't understand anything that they were telling me because mm. <laughs> I didn't know how to pronounce things yeah. or listen to pronunciation correctly. Yeah. But I could read it and write their, you know, read their signs. So that yeah. was helpful. Would you please write down what you just said, please? 
<laughs> so you've got right. the light of Gabriel, the ire of the shekel, and the zealots return. And it's a fascinating trilogy that people should uh, pick up a copy of. Now, uh, and I want to kind of go through these preliminaries as we move forward here, but uh, the the place where they can get this trilogy, among other things, uh, is the publishing company, the WoundedCrowPublishing.com. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, you, you can also get it at all your, uh, wherever you buy your, your books. So right. it's at Amazon and Barnes Noble and all your online retailers. Um, you can pick up the trilogy there, uh, both the ebook series as well as the paperback. Um, if you get it at WoundedCrowPublishing.com, um, there's bundles there. And there's also a companion book titled uh, Peshar. Peshar meaning in Hebrew, it means the interpretation. So it's the companion book that goes along with the trilogy that it, it gives more insight into um, my own insights when I was writing the book, the journey and writing the book, as well as the more deeper theological concepts and the layers of theology that are in the series. And that's so it's it. kind of helpful to have. Mm-hmm. You know that's interesting. It's it's uh, it reminds me of the one, <laughs> the one gentleman. Uh, now uh, Stan Freeberg did a satire of this gentleman, uh, and the satire uh, name name of the satire a satired character was Marshall McMedium. Might ring a bell as far as the real guy. Um, and he one of the comments he made was, "I am the studio, and the studio is me." He also said he was working on a book to explain his last book. Explain his last book. He's also working on another book, an explanation of an ex- of the explanation. I wish was people <laughs> yeah. would get it. You know, I'm tired right. of explaining things. Uh, um, but did you start out with the Paneri City trilogy, saying I'm going to write a trilogy? I'm going to write and and, and why? three separate books as opposed to one massive book, maybe not quite as big as right. War and Peace and so forth. Where did that decision come from? How, how did you come to uh, that uh, understanding that, yeah, this is going to be three separate books? Oh, very good. Uh, very good question. Uh, thank you for that. Um, so I've been writing, I've been really writing fiction since 2003. And most of them were basically contemporary fiction novels they always had a moral theme to them. So there's always a morality that was in the writings. Um, but um, in 2008, I sort of went through this life-changing um, set of events. Uh, it started out with, uh, I'm a research and development systems um, architect. So I, the job that I had uh, in t- for 20 years in 2008, the economy had, had crashed you know, with the whole Mars housing market. And so I lost my job of 20 years. Um, my, both my brother and my sister, my brother passed away that year of melanoma cancer. My sister passed away from um, working. Uh, she had dealt with multiple sclerosis for 25 years. So she passed away two months later. My wife had gotten a diagnosis of her first autoimmune disease. So it was just crushing blow after crushing blow after crushing blow. And it was that year that I just, I mean, my heart was just broken. And I thought, I, I didn't create anything. I didn't write. I didn't create any, compose any music. I just, I thought I lost my my creativity, which is really kind of the whole, it's my whole being is to be able to create things. 
And mm. so that was my whole kind of return to faith. Uh, I had to find out some answers. Like I was always, I always had a belief in God, but never really took the whole, my whole faith uh, seriously. And so I had to find out and really dive more deeply into that. And so I was started writing my, you know, after like two or three years, uh, I started writing my brother's story. And that was kind of the book that my return to faith story. Mm. Um, and that was published in 2013, I believe. And then I started after that, I started writing another, well, basically just another contemporary fiction novel to make a long story uh, somewhat shorter. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the... Uh, but then that's when the idea of I was start, when I was writing this um, new uh, novel called Oak Tree Lane, another contemporary fiction novel, uh, was then I was just really pulled away from that. And I think that was God telling me, you know what, Thomas, put that aside. I have something better for you to do. And that's where the whole concept of um, Penury City came about as far as what determined the three volumes that was, I guess, just the inspiration of, as I started writing it, I was just really only writing, I was just writing the story. And typically I always have the ending to the story. I, I, I basically know the beginning and I know the ending. And then the rest of the writing is just, well, I need to write to this end. How do I get there? And I start out with the characters and they just, I start out framing them out, but then they just, become their own living things yeah. and they start writing themselves more or less. And mm -hmm. then I just drive to that end. So it turned out that the first one was first novel. I said, well, this is, I think this is done. I, I need, I need to do another book. <laughs> so that's kind of how it, it went from there. Well, it is, it is, there is no question. It takes, uh, uh, a talent. Um, it, it is an art as well, and it takes discipline uh, to do something like this. I am, uh, interestingly enough, and I've shared this a number of times on my program, I have a book that I have written. It is not published. I've been working on it. It's not actually finished, but every so often I will send someone a copy of it, and I've been working on it since 2001. So that kind of tells you my process. But your process has to do with the Penuri <clears throat> City, excuse me, the Penuri City Trilogy. And uh, this adventure is like none other, and it will take every ounce of courage, strength, and trust that you muster. And this requires that you put aside everything you know, everything you have been taught, and everything that you might have planned for yourself. The quest compels you to seek after something other than yourself and your passions. It is the journey that you have spent your entire life training for, hoping for. We're talking with Thomas, the author, here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. I thank you for staying with us here on the program as we continue our conversation with Thomas. He's written other books as well. We will probably get into that as well. We're kind of talking about a series of four books, the trilogy plus the the explanation of the explanation. I'm just kidding there. Uh, <laughs> right. But it, it, helps, it helps you to move through the, the book. Um, when you uh, talk, and we'll talk a little bit more about the actual storyline 
Not that we want to give anything away. The butler did it. But that's another story for another day. Um, <laughs> when, when you sit down um, to, when you started sitting down to, to think about your life and, as you say, your faith, what you believe, it reminded me, when you talked about that at the beginning there, it reminded me of a conversation I had with a Christian musician by the name of John Fisher back in the, I want to say, the late 80s, maybe early 90s. And he had something very profound that he stated. He says, I was sitting, I was, he was living in New England, and he grew up in what they called the Jesus Movement of the 70s in California. And he was sitting there at his lonely writer's garret, looking out at the fall leaves falling from the ground. They were turning colors, and it was so beautiful. And the thought came to him, he, wanted, he, he was questioning, is what I believe, what I was told and taught to believe, or is what I believe, what I believe? that I have chosen, and I'm not sure if there's a way to differentiate because usually, unless it's through strictly experience, most of our beliefs are from what we're told as we're kids growing up. What about you and, and, and your quest for faith, for understanding of your life uh, uh, and, and those types of things? Oh, great questions. Um, so, yeah, so for myself, I grew up in... Uh, Probably, the, I don't know if it was typical or not, but it was a Catholic family. I went to uh, 12 years of Catholic schooling. And so the whole, my whole upbringing was really uh, under the Catholic umbrella and the Christian doctrine of how Catholics understood it based on their traditions. And I guess I was one of those, I was one of those kids uh, who always wanted to know the why. You know, one of those annoying kids who say, well, why, why, why? <laughs> and, and I never really got um, good answers to those whys. There were answers, but it was more like, well, this is what we've always done. Uh, this is how we've known it to be. It wasn't good explanations of the whys. And so even though I never, I wouldn't say I turned away from my faith, I always just kind of put it aside and said, well, okay, I'll, I'll save this maybe for later. And then I just started you know, living in the world, um, working, starting my career. I've worked a lot. Um, <laughs> I worked uh, in technology and engineering. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a systems architect. So I tend to take a lot of things into consideration. Um, people, talent, process, uh, innovation and technology, all these things all need to fit into the system. And I also had the idea that um, no one gets left behind in the system. The system should be able to accommodate everybody, all of their ideas, all of their, how they come to or enter the world. There should be room for everybody. A system shouldn't segregate or leave anyone out. So I always tried to work with models that accommodated everybody. And as I got like I said, in that year in, in 2008, um, that's when I started really researching and trying to get to understand and know better those whys. And as I, and as I did that, I was able to find good answers. Mm. I did a lot of reading, a lot of reading of uh, the 
theologians, um, different saints, uh, just a lot of different things. There's a lot of YouTube videos out now that are really uh, nice. Um, Jordan Peterson, he's a clinical psychologist out of Canada. He's got a very popular um, broadcast and, and following, and he's done a lot of great things as far as just the understanding and the psychology of of learning. And uh, he did a biblical series. I listened to that. Sometimes he's a little too Carl Jung for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think that's just how people come to know God. And as you were saying that, well, is my faith given to me to answer your question? Or is my, you know, is the faith something I've come to know on my own? I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, we are, we are handed some knowledge and some things, but we're also handed the, well, what do you think? How yeah. do you come to know God? And I think there is an objective answer to those things. I don't think everything is just relative and subjective because I've seen the results of that and it doesn't end well, not for anyone. Mm. <laughs> when, when you just kind of float, it's kind of like a helicopter over flying over the ocean is they don't have... Uh, they don't know where the ocean necessarily is. And if they fly too close, they end up, you know, flying into the ocean. Right you into need it, yeah. to have a foundation, right? Mm. You, you can't just have everything be relative. There has to be some truth, some objective truth to that. And so I do believe that humanity has come to that, to come to know what it, that objective truth is. We tend to forget our history. Um, some of the things, um, I mean, these concepts of God have been debated since Plato <laughs> before, right? Mm. Um, and everyone comes to their own understanding of those. But whether you understand or not, the truth is still the truth. And I think, uh, I think that's how I've come to know it is. Well, if that answers your question. Indeed. Well, I'll tell you that, that I worked for 15 years for a Christian radio station, and I just, none of the answers to my questions from the people that worked there made any sense to me. They just, there was no logical, it's like, uh, no, that doesn't fit. Not in my mind, not in my thinking. And, and I was born and raised Catholic. I didn't go to 12 years of, of Catholic school. I did go first kindergarten and first grade. That was okay. uh, an experience unto itself, let me tell you. But uh, I got to a point where I said, you know what? If you want to emblazon a giant H on my forehead and call me a heretic, I will wear it proudly because I would rather be asking the questions and looking for answers that make sense. Right. I'm, not, I'm not trying to uh, 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 understand the mysteries because there are a lot of them. That's not what I'm yes. talking about. I was talking about the doctrine and the dogma more than anything mm -hmm. else, the theology, if you will, not the mysteries. I don't fully understand the whole aspect of uh, uh, archangels and, and, and all of that and the supernatural and, and those different things. <clears throat> but why is it that you pick and choose the laws of the Jews from the Old Testament, the 613, you get to pick and choose the ones we're going to use today, and yet the Old Testament reeks of an old covenant and a new covenant coming. An old contract and a new contract coming. Mm -hmm. 
And when the new contract is signed, it nullifies the old contract. Ergo, none of the 613 laws of the old contract are valid. They're irrelevant because they're covered by one, the law of love. And if you are going to continue with one or two or three or four of the one, three, 613, then you have to do all 300, 613. You're going to have to send your, your wives and your daughters out into the desert for seven days a month while they are, quote, unquote, unclean. You know, that's just a start. I mean, you know, this is, you know. So none of their answers really made a lot of sense. And they told me, well, just go read the writings of the founding fathers and you'll understand. And I'm going... Well, wait a minute, who set them up as the arbiters of the faith for number one? And number right. two, if I'm asking the questions and I've never heard of these people, doesn't that put me at the same elevation as them in terms of the questions? And aren't the answers that I come to just as valid as theirs? Because you're the one who's telling me that they have the answers. Well, who the heck were they in their day? They were nobodies. Mm -hmm. And you're the one that has deified them in a manner of speaking or sub-deified them. So that's kind of where right. I was coming from. So yeah, give me the H and I'm on my way. And there you go. <laughs> We're talking with Thomas. We'll talk to continue this conversation as we uh, talk here with Thomas on Tell Me Your Story, talking about the Penary uh, City Trilogy. And we'll talk about some other areas as well on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you for being with us here on the program. Thomas, I find it fascinating uh, when talking with uh, uh, people of faith, and, and, and such as yourself, the fact that as I worked uh, under the umbrella of evangelical, evangelical Christianity for 15 years in the 80s and early 90s, and we know, we know what happened in those 15 years or more uh, to the, the, the hierarchy of especially televangelism and so forth, uh, that tended to be the unofficial representatives of the faith. And they were horrible, horrible representatives, just atrocious. Those who would get caught up in the very things that right. they railed against. And I used to say, I used to quote Shakespeare, me dost think thou protesteth too much. Be careful what you rail against. So let me, uh, well, let me address some of your, uh, your other, um, please uh, statements about, you know, the old Testament and, the 600 plus laws of, of the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. um, so we also have to try to, um, God is always working to try to establish a relationship. So if you say, if you, you take the story of Genesis, so Adam and Eve, right? Mm -hmm. In the Garden of Eden, in paradise, and what was their biggest mistake? Well, God gave them everything, right? Yeah. They didn't have to work. They, they, everything was provided for them. All they had to do was, and they had the relationship with God. God walked with them in the cool of the evening, Genesis tells us. Mm -hmm. So they were with God. They had everything. And their one mistake was, well, they wanted to be, they didn't want to be subjective to God. They wanted to be, well, equal with God. Instead of just, you know, if you, if you can imagine the, the most perfect loving father they could possibly have. And he provides everything to you. And instead of being grateful and loving your father back instead you say well i want to be i'm just as good as you are i want to be like you so i'm gonna 
I'm going to basically do the thing that you told me, the one thing you told me not to do, I'm going to do it because then that, if I do that eat the, of the tree of knowledge, right. Mm -hmm. Then I will be just as good as you and prove myself that I am as good as you. And so that's, that's the sin of pride that made, um, you know, our Adam and Eve fall from the garden. Mm -hmm. And so since then, the whole process of God's trying to get back the relationship with man. That's kind of the whole story of the Old Testament and New Testament is God's desire to still maintain that relationship with man and try to get man to get back to a good, um, loving relationship back with the Father. And so all of those laws and things, well, because man keeps doing worse worser and worser things yeah, yeah, <laughs> we keep yeah. falling and falling and falling <laughs> so instead of the ones the one prideful sin of well just eating of the tree of knowledge then it goes to well cain murders his brother because of jealousy yeah and then it gets worse and worse and worse and we just keep falling and falling and falling more in this pit of depravity and so god i mean what choice does he have but to start you can think of those 600 laws as kind of like boot camp okay, we need to start doing some things, some fundamental things in these laws following rules, even if they're seem like maybe crazy, silly kind of rules. You might think of it that way. It's kind of your boot camp of, can you learn to follow some rules mm -hmm, and, and mm -hmm. stick to those? Yeah. And then after, and then you do that for, you know, a certain period of time and man still screws up. I mean, the whole Bible is all about the people of Israel come to God because they're um, they're contrite and they're and they're trying to get back with God and they do that for a little bit of time but then eventually they just screw up and they fall again right and it's this process the stories in the Bible are we get back good with God and then we fall get yeah. back good with God and then we fall and it's just very cyclical right one after the other we just keep screwing up and so the New Testament is all about okay God says <laughs> guys aren't learning you're just not you're not getting it right mm -hmm. you're not getting the things that i'm telling you they're just not taking hold so i'm going to send my son you know my only son i'm going to send him to represent me who i am and he will teach you these ways so the author of life god sends his son who is also god and he comes to earth and what do we do we torture him and we kill him mm-hmm what does that say about humanity? <laughs> is that we're, we're not we really go so good, right? Another rerun. Um, but it's kind of a, uh, there's a little like twist. It's almost like a comedic twist to the whole thing is that God knew what we would do. And because Jesus took all of that pain, that suffering, all of that sinful nature of mankind upon himself willingly, for the love of the Father, he was able to smother all of that in a way that he now becomes the example of how humanity is supposed to live their lives. And even though we will never measure up to that, we can still pursue it. And I think a lot of people sometimes either misrepresent the definition of love or truly don't understand what love means. Um, the Greeks had, I think, nine different definitions for love. and um, But really, love is the willing the good of another person for their own sake. Not for yours, but for their own sake. 
But then there's one more thing to that. You can't just say, well, I care for you. I can't say, well, I care for you, Richard, and I wish you well. That's not enough. There needs to be a sacrifice to go with that. And that means I have to do something to ensure that some that some good um, helps you. So I need to help you in some way so that you achieve that good for yourself. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, it means I have to sacrifice of myself, whether it be my time or my money, space, whatever it might be, that is that good for you. Yeah. So love is the, you know, the willing the good of the other for their sake and then do something about it. And I think that's how we can even love our enemies. Because even though your enemy might be doing all kinds of terrible things to you, you can, if, if you respond to that in kind and also then do terrible things to your enemy, then it just escalates and it keeps escalating higher and higher and higher to the point where you might even, you know, do the worst things possible to that other person. But if you turn around and smother that hate or violence or whatever it might be to, that your enemy is doing to you, you can smother that. And even if you lose your own life, you've left a lasting impression on that person. And, and you've shown that, that, Christ, that Christ-like quality of, I can smother with love, and then it just ends there. It, it doesn't escalate. In fact, it turns the whole thing around. Mm. And one of the other aspects I'll add to that, you know, is that even before the sacrifice, we mm-hmm. had value. We were all, we were still, pri- in spite of the fact that we kept falling and rising up and falling and rising up over and over and over and over right. again, we were still God's children and he still yes. loved us and loves us. Yes. So how much more priceless, if it's even possible to go beyond pricelessness, uh, was our, is our value after the sacrifice. And and this is an area I'd like to talk about as we continue here in terms of our own worth, not only worth to God, our value to God, but even self-worth. And again, with a small s. Okay, very small s. And we'll talk about that here with Thomas, the author of the trilogy, the Penuri City Trilogy on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you for uh, being with us here on the program. We're here with uh, Thomas, who is the author of the three books of the trilogy, the uh, Penary City Trilogy, uh, Light of Gabriel, The Ire, Ire of the Shekel, and The Zealot Returns. So um, let me ask you a quick question here as we continue having to do with what I mentioned before about our own value. Um, what, from your perspective, first of all, is how should we begin the process of thinking of ourselves as having value without becoming egotistical, trying and uh, a, a humble <laughs> self-value. Yeah, we all have a little bit of trouble, I think. Well, maybe not all of us. I know I have trouble with uh, staying humble and having humility and remembering. Um, sometimes you forget the journey that you've taken to get you to the place where you are today. Mm-hmm. Like I know all of these different things and I've had all these different experiences. It has gotten me to the place where I am today. And when we meet others along the road, we don't necessarily know where they've come from. We don't know what their journey has been like. It, it might've been an incredibly hard journey with a lot of pain and suffering. So we don't know where they are necessarily. So we have to remember to try to see things from the other person's point of view, and also take into consideration that their lives 
might not have been so great. And so we need to be charitable in that respect. As far as our own self-worth, we were all created in the image of God. So there's a piece of God in each of us, you know, a piece of that divinity. Um, We call it, you know, the soul, uh, your spirit. Uh, It's been called a lot of different things. But it's that that soul and that that's within us that we're created in that divine image of God, that we do have a lot of worth. We have a lot to offer. And it's when we are connected to God that we can rightly order that our soul towards what he wants for us. Um, I always say that I've been in technology for something like 36 years. And during that whole time, I was trying to create this perfect system of where the people and the process and, and the technology kind of all united together in this blissfully <laughs> uh, area of where just would all work together perfectly. Right. Yeah. And it was called, you know, the promise of technology, you know, this is what we were meant to have instead of the technology that we have today, where my car tried to update the computer, it failed miserably and then it drained the car battery. So I couldn't even drive my car. I had to pull out the fuse because the computer was stuck in its update cycle. <laughs> it's like, wait, this, this is the promise of technology. What? No, this, this is bad. I, I don't like this at all. I'd rather have my old, manual transmission car back where it didn't have all this electronic stuff on it so I could at least drive my car. So we're meant to have that perfect adventure that God has created for us. We were created perfect. We were created perfect in the fact that he placed us in the right time, the right place, with the right experience, the right talents, to do something, some mission, some adventure. And I think a lot of us don't necessarily maybe we maybe we are unhappy in where we are today because we were too afraid to take the adventure that God had planned for us so we settled and we did something else you know whatever that might have been or maybe we don't understand the direction of the talents that we are have been gaining like why did I spend 36 years in technology well maybe it was just to do something that to create this kind of legendary epic novel of How do all these pieces fit together? How do I understand the Old Testament with the New Testament? How do I understand all these, you know, theologians and the saints and all of these different aspects of life? How does that all come together and fit in this kind of perfect story of, you know, telling of humanities, um, their, their life and how they all fit, how their story continues to run through? So no, I guess maybe that was my boot camp. I think that we all have our own boot camp from time to time. Uh, that we, um, you know, we think that uh, we've made it through, and then, uh, and this is one of the things that I love, is that uh, when I start getting a little too big for my britches, the universe has a way of humbling me. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I know what I mean. Yeah, uh, and and I like that. I like that because it reminds me. Look. There's always going to be someone greater and lesser than me as far as my talents, my abilities, my skills, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But that doesn't diminish or increase my value or the other person's as far as God is concerned. You know, we are on equal footing 
from that standpoint. Uh, and it's what we do with our lives. It's it's kind of like one of those analogies, and I'm curious about your observation, your your perspective on uh, this. I, 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 I would hear quite often people saying, I just want to do God's will. I just want to do God's will. And so I thought about this individual walking in this meadow, and they're walking around cupped hands. And if you could, hold your own personal will in your hands. He's walking there. This person is walking around there. I just want to do God's will. I just want to do God's will. I just want to do God's will. And God, with tears in God's eyes, is moved. One of my creation wants to do my will. And the person tosses their will up into the air, thinking that God will catch it. Well, God does and compresses it down to the size of a baseball. And then rocks back and throws a Nolan Ryan, uh, a 90 mile an hour Nolan Ryan fastball, hits the individual squarely in the head and says, then do something with the life I gave you. You are not a puppet on a string being manipulated by forces you do not understand. What about that aspect of our lives. And again, I'm not talking about going off on one's own, but stopping and listening inside to that still small voice. We, you know, people call it a lot of different things uh, to get the guidance needed from day to day. Uh, you know, a lot of people, they again, they just go off and they do whatever they want to do. And it doesn't always turn out quite the way they'd hoped, but nonetheless, that's what they do. Others, they stop and they listen and then they move. Or they don't stop moving, but they slow down a little bit, you know. <laughs> okay, which way? Okay, here, turn, turn left here. Okay. And I've had those experiences, literally. Turn right here and then turn left and left and so forth. I've actually had those experiences. So what about that in terms of um, fulfilling one's life's purpose, living out one's life's purpose, uh, not necessarily versus God's will, but in conjunction, in concert, in unity with God's will? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great questions. I mean, man has been trying to figure out God's will for well for all time, right? Um, and I've I've debated this myself in, in my own mind as was well, does God's will come first or after the decision? Um, you know, does the plan, does God's plan come before our decision or after our decision? So after we make a certain decision, you know, do we go left or do we go right? And if we go right, does God set the stage for that decision? Or if we go left, then does God set the stage for that decision? And I don't know if I've even really figured it out yet because, you know, who can know God's mind, right? Um, but regardless of that, I think one of the most important things when trying to determine what are the right things that we should do and how can we do those things by trying to do the will of God. And so I think the best way to do that is to look at God as, well, if God is our father, and if God is always with us, then why don't we just talk to him about the decisions that are before us? I don't think, you know, we have to do on every single decision, you know, should I brush my teeth, you know, up and down or side to side? <laughs> Those kind of 
you know, mundane decisions just don't matter, but hey, should I go into, uh, you know, this, this Christian church over here, this, or this Muslim or this Hinduism, what, where should I go? I think those important decisions are something that you need to talk over with God and seriously ask for answers and then get, listen as well for answers. And I think sometimes we don't, we don't do that and we're not patient enough to wait for the answers. We, in this, <laughs> today we just demand instant gratification, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I take a picture, I post it on Facebook. Why aren't people liking my picture? Um, in this, in this technology, in this technological age now, everything just comes too fast, too quickly, too instantaneously for us. And we demand this constant uh, gratification of these you know, interactions. Yeah. Um, God talks in whispers, uh, as he tells us in scripture, he, he doesn't come with, you know, loud trumpets blaring and all this, you know, before him, he, he comes in a small whisper. So you need to listen for that whisper. Yeah. And he might not give it to you right away. It might not be the time yet for him to give you what you need to be doing. So you have to be patient and you also have to keep asking. Penary City Trilogy is the series we're talking about. Uh, We are going to talk about more about that in just a few moments here on Tell Me Your Story. Thomas is my guest. He's the author. His website is the Wounded Crow Publishing Company. Is it your publishing company? It is, yes. I am just very curious as to how you came up with Wounded Crow. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Well, I got it. um, So it came back uh, when uh, I wrote a book titled uh, Wounded Crows Don't Fly. And it was a historical fiction piece uh, based back in the 1950s about a a Nebraskan farm. And it was a story of two brothers growing up on that that farm. And the younger brother had found this wounded crow and tried to nurse it back to health. And the younger brother was kind of the faithful brother and the older brother was the more scientific-minded, logical thinker and so it was the faith of that little brother to keep nursing that crow back to health and life that that wounded crow was able to fly again. It was kind of a metaphorical um, story of how even though we are, too are wounded, we can still fly as well. Hmm. And so it was that same uh, story that when my brother had gotten cancer and he was in the hospital getting chemotherapy, my brother always wanted to be a director, a movie director. So we had started writing the the script, the movie script for that book. We never ended up finishing it. And, but um, so that's when I went with the Wounded Crow as the name of the publishing company. It's it kind of that whole that concept of a Wounded Crow can still fly. You just have to have some faith. Yeah. A little homage to your brother as well. That's right. Yeah. Thomas is my guest on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for being with us here on the program. Let's talk a little bit about the trilogy here. Uh, and and you, again, it's, it's made up of three different uh, levels, if you will. Light of Gabriel, Ire of the Shekel, and The Zealot's Return. Uh, we're, talking about, uh, we're talking about Gabriel the Archangel, is that correct? That's right. There's, uh, in, in Catholic tradition, we... We celebrate the, the three different archangels here, the Archangel Gabriel, the Archangel Raphael, and Archangel Michael. Um, so Gabriel is the one who is the archangel who does, he's the messenger who communicates a lot. He communicates uh, different things throughout, throughout the Bible. Um, so the first 
the first volume, um, The Light of Gabriel, is if you look at the cover, there's, there's a lot of symbolism in the cover. So there's this big granite rock uh, of the on the cover, and that rock symbolizes the church. Only the rock has this large crack through it. And across the rock is a sword, and that's the sword of Peter. So Peter's supposed to be defending the church, and the sword is broken. And then you look at um, the coin that's going through the sword and cracking the rock. That's the shekel. And the shekel is, um, that's the Jewish uh, silver coin, the shekel. And if you remember the, from, the, from the Bible, it was 30 pieces of silver or silver shekels mm -hmm. that was used to betray God's son, Jesus. Yeah. And so that's the symbolism of evil in the trilogy is the shekel. And so the first volume is really takes us through, like I said, the penury means extreme poverty. So that first volume shows us um, what it's like living without God. That's the extreme poverty, that when you live without God, there's not a lot of good in the world. And so the volume takes place in the year 2054. So it's taking place in the future. And it's showing what a society looks like that's completely, um, I don't know if completely, but it's void of God. And even if you look at like America today, um, in our Constitution Declaration of Independence, there's God everywhere, right? It's it's in the language itself. But then we slowly have been taking God out of it. We've taken God out of our government. We've taken God out of the, uh, the justice system. You no longer swear an oath before God anymore. It's you. Swear, I think you swear an oath to truth or something. Um, we've taken God out of the schools. We've taken God out of the public square. We've taken God out of the family planning and the homes. So once you do that, we're on our own. And as the Bible tells us, <laughs> we're not so good on our own. We really need um, God and his goodness and love in the world because without it, uh, we're, we're living in depravity. So that's what that first volume is, is really the extreme poverty. It, it details what that looks like. And then it follows, introduces the characters in the first volume, um, several characters of different uh, different lifestyles, you know, different positions in life. And the main character is uh, Dr. Saul Kreisch. And he's the main character who's kind of, um, we're, we're following him through, through the story. And he's an atheist. He's also a doctor who works for the, uh, the government. And he's performing these forced abortions on people. Because in 2054, you're not allowed to have children unless you get permission from the government and you have to go through these tests, um, this criteria you have to meet in order for you to be able to have children. So they look at your DNA, they make sure that, you know, you have a high intelligence factor, that there's not a lot of um, things that are wrong with you, your DNA, you know, you, have, you don't have any health issues. Uh, you have the right body type and, you know, all those, these criteria you have to go through. And if you don't meet those, then you're denied. And if you get pregnant without having permission, then you're forced to have an abortion. So that's what he does is he does these forced abortions. We follow his story. And it turns out that him and the person that he lives with, uh, Janice, they want to have a child and they're denied. And so she hears this rumor, Janice, um, his partner, about this city, this golden city, you know, that where there's freedom and faith and you're mm -hmm. allowed to do things as you choose. And so she leaves him and searches out the city. 
and she happens to be the only kind of moral foundation that he has. It's his link to anything that's good. And so when she leaves him, he's he's crushed and he goes and follows after her. And during his journey in following her, he ends up meeting a person of faith. And she starts to uh, help him understand faith and God. And he debates with her continuously, uh, you know, using logic and science and all kinds of things. And she continues to debate with him. And she's a very smart and knowledgeable person as well. Um, you know, knows different languages, Latin and Greek, and she's been well educated as well. So she she helps him to understand the deeper things um, in faith in God. Very interesting. I will let you folks know that uh, Thomas lives in upstate New York and also has written novels, as he mentioned earlier, since 2003, writing often reflecting old-fashioned values, Christian Catholic themes, and inspiring messages of hope. I uh, grew up in a Catholic family where uh, the foundation of his beliefs were seated. However, they did not fully develop until later in his life. And he actively uh, wor works in his parish. He is active in his parish and teaches uh, as well as teaching the faith. And this is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And uh, we bring you new paradigms for a new world. Choices and knowledge of those choices is part of what we bring. And we uh, also like to bring you works that our guests have written, uh, especially when it comes to fiction and the messages therein. <clears throat> I'm curious, uh, uh, Thomas, um, you know, you have the other two uh, books that uh, are part of this trilogy, Ire of the Shekel, which would lead me to believe it's uh, one of those 30 shekels that uh, <laughs> is sort of, a, if I can use the euphemism, a thorn in somebody's side, uh, followed by the zealot's return. And I have to, I have to wonder, and, and, and forgive me for putting it this way, I don't mean any disrespect, because bear in mind, we kind of come from the same school, you know, uh, Catholicism and so forth, and of, of faith. Sure. But my experience has been, and this primarily is with the broadcast media, so, so don't get me wrong there, but I have often found that when they would cry out persecution. The thought that came to my mind, it was, this was the analogy. You're standing on the railroad tracks, a train is coming and you're blaming the train that's coming to hit you. Get off the tracks. <laughs> okay. And it's like, don't cry persecution. Get the heck out of the way. Now I'm not saying not to live by your faith and, 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 and what you believe in. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's stop crying persecution. Stop playing the victim and do something. And I think that's what's really got a lot of people upset these days, especially when, for example, the religious right in this country in particular, or for that matter, you know what? It doesn't make any difference what the faith is because we have extremists in a lot of different areas. You know, yes. we could go back to the Inquisition. We could go back into a lot of the other areas in history. But it's like everybody wants to play the victim if their ox is being gored. It's like, well, then move your freaking ox <laughs> <laughs> and, and then do something, you know, get involved, but stop complaining. Your thoughts about that? Yeah, so I talk to a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. uh, I talk to Catholics. There's, there's the liberal Catholics and there's tr traditional Catholics. 
I'm neither of those. I'm the Catholic who sticks to center line to the doctrine that's be that was taught and it was handed down to us. There's a lot of people in the church. I, in fact, I think that's probably the one of the things that I liked the most about the Catholic Church, and that actually told me how true it was. And that was because, in spite of all the problems with the Catholic Church, it's still here. It's still God's church is still here. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go from 1054 when it was first split the East and the West Church, and then and then in 1570, I think it was Luther, mm-hmm. a Catholic monk, said, "I've had enough of this stuff and of your indulgences and all your things, and I'm going to rewrite some stuff and I'm going to pin it to the door and I'm going to split off the church." And Protestants came from from that effort along with Calvin. And so that split off. And then you look at the Protestant denominations. And I've heard some extreme numbers. I don't know if they're true or not, but it's anywhere between 4,000 and 40,000 different Protestant denominations. And they all split off. Yeah. And so how can you, how can you deny that God is looking after the Catholic Church when in spite of all these things, we've had bad popes, we've had bad bishops, we've had bad priests, we've had bad just about anything you can possibly imagine. <laughs> and yet, and yet, it is still here. Yeah. And the doctrine is still sound because I tried to pick it apart and I can't. And I'm one of those people who's pretty good at picking out contradictions. Um, and people will talk about moments in time where maybe the, the church was at its worst, like the Inquisition. But if you think about it, it wasn't the church who was persecuting those people it was the state the church was in there trying to not let the state persecute and kill so many they, they tried to put some criteria around it says well this person is is fine they're they still have a little faith and this person is not really a heretic so they were trying to not they tried to at least put a process around it so that the state would just kill everybody um and even though the church which should still not have been involved. We have to remember that people are broken. (laughs) And so the church cannot just be, well, look at how they're living. I see what they're doing and I know that to be wrong. That's not what, that can't be the only definition of what the church is. The church has to be, what does the church teach? And not necessarily how are people interpreting interpreting those teachings just to do their own thing, to go their own way. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess, I guess that's how I look at, uh, you know, the whole, it's, it's the doctrine and the teachings mm-hmm. and really, even if you take all of religion and you can just say, okay, I'm going to take all of what we've known. And I'm going to put that aside right here. And I'm just going to look at the two things that, that Jesus said, love God with all your heart. And love your neighbor as yourself. And if you follow those, that's the umbrella of all the other things that the church is trying to teach us. So you can come to the you can come to God as a small child and just follow those two things, or you can come to the you can come to God as, hey, I have this high intelligence. I like all the academic things, and I want to know all the things I can find out about the truth of God as much as I can about the attributes of God, how he created the universe, how this all works, 
you know, and a lot of people, you know, Thomas Aquinas <laughs> and, you know, St. Augustine and all these really intelligent people, they lent that knowledge to try to figure out more of the things about God. So it's really up to us. Yeah. We, we, we can come as in the most simplistic way possible or in the most unimaginable <laughs> intellectually whatever way, which I've, I've seen a lot of people do that too. I mean, you have your Bishop Barons who, I mean, there was a great talk between Bishop Barron and Jordan Peterson. And you see these two intellectual giants just going. Um, and really what I got out of that discussion was at the end of it all was Jordan Peterson was just saying to him, well, you know, in one regard, I would say that the church failed is that you have all of these great doctrines and, and this basically a summation of all the good of how humanity is supposed to act and how they're supposed to behave in the world with God. Hmm. Well, I will tell and you, you don't, oh. you don't teach that to the children in a way that makes them want the adventure. Yeah. That's the failure of the church mm -hmm. is they kind of water the message down yeah. and say, no, get out there and get the adventure. Yeah. That's your mission. Don't water the message. <laughs> put, put on your put on your adventure hat and go. <laughs> exactly. Put on. He's got he, he Thomas has an adventure hat there. He's ready to rock. Put on and your roll. adventure hat. Let's let's go. Into, let's go into the cave and go. You you remove the rock from the hole in the stone and I'll run first. OK, how about that? We're there talking with Thomas, and he is the uh, author of the trilogy, uh, Penary City Trilogy, and we're here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dewey, your host, and we're talking about a lot of, I think, wonderful aspects, especially because we share a common uh, aspect of, uh, of faith in, in our backgrounds, Catholicism. Uh, in my background, in yours, it's present day. I'm, I'm not practicing anymore, but I will tell you, I never, quote unquote, left the church, okay? Uh, I was 16 years old. I was a paper boy. I was delivering newspapers on a Sunday morning in Phoenix, Arizona. I came home after delivering the papers and I was exhausted as I usually was. And I went to bed. And at nine o'clock, mom comes in and wakes me up, says, okay, it's time to get ready for mass. I don't want to go. I really don't. She's okay. Now, this is the first time she's ever said that to me in 16 years. Well, it wasn't until my uh, mid-20s when I finally asked her, why did you do that? And she says, because I didn't want you to push away from the church. And I never did. Never, ever did. I have a great love and reverence for the rituals, the ceremonies, the traditions, uh, the mystery that the church uh, 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 if you will, purports and so forth. Uh, I just, I am fascinated by it all. Uh, I love the candles and the incense. I love the singing and yep. all of those kinds of things. It was very interesting when folk masses were brought into vogue in, I think it was the 70s. That was really kind of cool. Definitely it was different. Um, and uh, in, in spite of how sometimes it takes a long time for the church to embrace something new in our culture in terms of sort of incorporating it. Like, like, again, like the folk who would have brought a guitar into the church. You don't do that. You don't bring, uh, those kinds of things. That's not what people think of it. You're supposed to be speaking Latin. 
I never learned Latin, so <laughs> I, you know, I, I, ma I made yep. it past the Vatican II. Um, but it's it's really really very interesting uh, to to have these kinds of conversations with you, Thomas, in this case, uh, and to know that in I, I don't want to say in spite of, but it's probably because of all of your questioning, your curi your own curiosity, mm -hmm. that you stayed, that you had. It's kind of like what you talked about with the analogy of the helicopter flying over the ocean. You had a foundation. You had a point of reference, if you will, to start from. Uh, and um, I, I'm hoping that people get that from you and can get that for themselves. Yeah, I think that's um, that's very true. Is like I said, everyone has. There's only one path but everyone's on their own journey to get there. Mm -hmm. So however we come to God and the people that we meet, I think that's all part of God's plan is he'll put people in front of you to give you a little nudge in a direction. And there's a lot of different ways people do come to God. Yeah. Um, I, I think some of the things that people turn away from God, I mean, the whole pain and suffering thing is, you know, one is, well, how could God possibly, if there was a God, how can he let all of this pain and suffering come, come to happen to you, to me? And I, I like uh, Jordan Peterson kind of, he, he did a thing on, on suffering as well and said, well, if the church has it right in this regard is that things, things happen to people, bad things happen. And it's not because God is making bad things happen to you. It's because there's free will mm -hmm. and the choices that we make have consequences and they're not just consequences for ourselves, but they're also consequences for others. Yeah. And nature itself kind of has almost a free will as well. So, you know, there's hurricanes, there's tornadoes, there's things happen and bad things come from that. And so what God does is he expects us that in whatever situation we might find ourselves, is don't make it worse. And you can always make it worse. Mm. Make it a lot worse. <laughs> you could take your pain and suffering out on somebody else. Yeah. And, and so what we're called to do is don't make it worse. In fact, you can actually make it better in spite of your pain and your suffering. We know everybody has some pain and suffering in their lives, whether it be physical or mental or whatever it might be. Um, you can... You can bear that suffering. Christians say you can, you know, pick up your cross and carry it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to just stay there. And like you said, you don't have to be a victim. Yeah. You don't have to be that victim. You can pick it up and you can carry it. And maybe you can help somebody else as you're carrying your cross along the way. Yeah. You know, help someone else carry their cross because that's what we're called to do. And, and, and I believe that there is nowhere in the Bible, Old or New Testament, uh, that says that, uh, uh, you know, one of the commandments, one of the 613 laws or, or the new covenant says, and be a victim, moan and groan right. and complain about the suffering as I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't seen that book yeah, Even in the apocryphal books that I've read, the Catholic apocryphal books, uh, um, I don't see it anywhere, you know, um, right. And, and I think the one thing that you, you really alluded to at the beginning of the program was that cycle, in this case, in the Old Testament of the Jews, um, they'd fall down, but then they'd get up again. 
mm-hmm. yes, they'd fall down again, but then they'd get up again. And it went yeah. on like that and went on through the New Testament as well. By the way, that's one of the things I've, I've, I've kind of joked with people about. I said, do you know that if the churches that Peter and Paul and the other epistles uh, were written for, or two, I should say, if they had gotten the message the first time, the Bible would only have the Gospels, the Book of Acts, and the Book of Revelation. You wouldn't need the rest because all that's explanation. It's because the people of those different churches just didn't get it because they were squabbling over, I'm going to say they were squabbling over minutiae, you know? (laughs) And, and so the book would actually have much fewer books. It wouldn't be 66. It would be smaller, but I don't know. I, I, I've lost count. This well, is well, Catholics have 73. So that, well, that's true. I know. A Catholic Bible is a little thicker than the Protestant Bible. Uh, right. I consider it to be a little bit more complete, although I, I have to acknowledge uh, from my perspective, I, I still want to know. Somebody, I, I had a list of criterion, for example, in terms of what books, both Old and New Testament, belonged mm-hmm. in the Bible. I, I, I think I did a research on this back in the 80s, early 90s. There was one book in the Old Testament that has absolutely no business in the Bible, both Catholic or Protestant, and that's the Song of Solomon. It's a book about sex, you know? Now, there will be those who will say, will critique it and say, oh, no, wait a minute, Richard, here in this passage over here, it says, and I, I know no, I'm not, I'm, I'm being more facetious than anything else, but... That was always that was always a comment that was made. Uh, I've talked with people about that over the years, and they said, "Well, yeah, it doesn't really, but it ain't bad. It ain't bad, you know." <laughs> it's more like a poem, I would think. It's a it's a yeah. love poem. Yeah, and and it's written. I mean, if you think about when we have a you know a relationship with your spouse. Yeah, um, yeah. The most intimate moment you can have is in that sexual relationship, and Catholics aren't against. The good things in life. We want people to live full lives, you know. So we don't. We're not Puritans. We we don't take you know alcohol and sex and all these things away because yeah. when when you do them with the one person, you can have intimacy beyond anything that you can have with anyone else. Yeah. I love what my I father said. I love what my father said. Eat, drink, and be merry, in moderation, because no one right. gets out of this world alive. Right. So I think and, that's... and the thing is, yeah, not not to love anything above God. Exactly. God, God's God's what we're aiming for, yeah. and all of these things that He's given us are all good. Mm-hmm. But you can always do something good in bad ways. Yeah. And so, it... this is uh, tell me your story, new paradigms for a new world. My guest Thomas, the author of the Penary City trilogy. I tell you what, it's a little bit of a tongue twister for me to say, but I managed to get through it, and I hope that you will find a way to get a copy of it by going to woundedcrowpublishing.com. We'll be linked to that website. Thomas is my guest. I'm Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. And Thomas, I have three questions that I like to ask all of my guests here on the program. Uh, And you may have answered them during the interview, but I like to ask them directly. Before I do, though, I have to uh, I have to address you, the listener and the viewer, because I want you to remember that we're here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. We're also on the air 
Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for a special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We also want you to go to the podcasts to hear the entire interview, because sometimes they go longer than what you hear on the radio. Uh, go to SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many others. We're also on YouTube, Tell Me Your Story, Richard Dugan, the channel. We hope that you'll subscribe in any case to either or both. And uh, we also hope that if you are able to do so to support this program financially, we would greatly appreciate that. Uh, every, every dollar that we do uh, have uh, supporting us goes back into the process of keeping this program moving forward. And I thank those who have helped and those who will help. Uh, and it's PayPal. That's the link. It's on my homepage. Uh, and uh, we encourage you to uh, do what you can. We'll take energetic support as well. We'll take prayers. We'll take good thoughts. Um, the money obviously uh, takes care of a lot of the ancillary material things uh, that are necessary to keep this going. And we also ask you to participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s, where we ask you to go within I think that was made abundantly clear how important that is by Thomas uh, and the work that we are here to do. And we're going to get the guidance that we need. You know, uh, we don't. That's our GPS. How about that? OK, you have your own GPS, believe it or not. It's the still small voice. So, uh, you know, you don't need to Google it or anything. You don't need to go to Google Maps or Google Earth. Just go within and listen. Listen. All right. So. With that being said, Thomas, the first of my three questions, and I will keep it to your pen uh, and ask you, who is Thomas? Ah, so I guess you might say uh, I'm the architect. I'm, I'm the systems architect who tries to consider all things. I like to take in all that people have to offer all their talents. I think people are fascinating. In fact, the more different they are from me, <laughs> the better I usually like them um, because then I can learn more from them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the different processes that people come to, uh, to figure things out. Uh, I like to work through process too, whether it be scientific method or, you know, learning, you know, watching other YouTube videos and things, learning from people of what they've read how their education have come about and then to take that into consideration and use that as well. And then technology is always fun. You know, it's always fun to play with, uh, you know, innovative things and creating new things from that and bringing that all together. Um, I have the most, I guess the, the most, the worst memory on the planet. I have really hard time remembering details. Um, and, and, if, and especially if you take the details out of the context of which they were supposed to be, it's like, forget it. I won't remember them at all. But like, like I'll meet like someone in a certain context, you know, church or a school or work, whatever. And if I see them somewhere else, I might recognize them, but I won't remember their name because now they're out of the place that I usually end up seeing them. <laughs> so I have the worst memory. And so what I rely on is kind of to build these models in my head. And the models have these parameters. And that's why... I always go to the extremes of things to figure out, okay, well, in this extreme scenario, is it a yes? Is it a no? What, what happens? How can I figure out this particular question? And then that helps me to build and extend my models because then if I come across a scenario and I say, well, where does this fit? How can I answer this question? 
I can look to that model that's in my head and say, does this fit here? If Or, or does it fit anywhere? Mm -hmm. It might not be true. Or if it is true, I might need to reconfigure uh, the model that's in my head to make room for it and adjust some other things. So I guess that's kind of me in a nutshell. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? So I want people to get to know God. Um, I want to deliver the message that God wants to give you. And that's, well, God loves you. He created you perfect and he delights in you. Um, and he created you not only to receive love, but then to take that and then to give love. So you just, you don't have to always be fearful um, or have a lot of anxiety. You can trust in that and then just follow him home. And if it's possible, if you could help your brothers and sisters along the way, that would be really cool too. Hmm. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Um. Most of my life's purpose is to uh, be on the adventure that God has planned for me. Um, right now, it's the adventure of you know, trying to help people in their understanding of God, trying to bring people back uh, to the faith, you know, such as yourself, you know, whether it be the Catholic faith, the Christian faith, in some way or aspect, try to come back to God. And I hope I can breathe that... Uh, maybe that instrument and, and that messenger um, and to help people, especially in the times that we are living in today where everything just seems to be going south mm -hmm. and, and people are losing hope and they might even be despairing. And even though we've lost a lot of people, um, you know, to the pandemic and, and, and the different things going on, that they're not lost. God has them and God also has you. And it's up to us to continue to turn and hope um, so that we can help each other to find that faith, that trust in God. Hmm. Well, Thomas, I want to thank you again for joining us here on the program. It's been a great pleasure to, to talk with you and to share with uh, our listeners the trilogy, the, the uh, Penary City Trilogy. The adventure awaits you, folks. So go to woundedcrow.com. Wounded Crow Publishing is the uh, website. We will be linked to that website, Thomas, so people can go straight there, even as they are sure. listening to these interviews. And again, thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you, Richard. I really enjoyed having you know being on your show, and I'm grateful again for uh, for you having me here, and hope to hear more from you. Well, we'll uh, we'll make a point to stay connected. I'm Richard Dugan. I want to thank you for listening and watching. Tell me your story. New paradigms for a new world, as we give you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lull.